So would you please stand and let's read Philippians chapter 4, verses 21 through 23. Here's the word of the Lord. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Please be seated. Father, we come before you once again. And we ask you to help us. Please feed your people. Give us the bread of life. Give us living water through the inscripturated word. Your revelation. So help us. Help me to be faithful. Help the congregation to be faithful as they're listening. And I pray this whole worship service, the singing, the praying, the reading, the preaching, the giving, the fellowship, would be immersed in Christ Jesus so that would be pleasing to you. So maybe this whole time, especially the preaching now, be in Christ so it's pleasing to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So as we come to the final greetings, I, ha- I just have some thoughts. And about three Sundays ago, I told you the, the beauty of expository preaching as we walk through chapter by chapter, book by book, verse by verse, and sometimes word by word in the Bible, is, is that we are exposed to God's Word. There is no way to run away from difficult subjects. There is no way to run from awkward subjects. And we are under God's Word and God is speaking to us and we have to deal with the hard texts. So that's the beauty of expository preaching. What we do in this church frequently, getting a book and go chapter, verse, and so on. So, for example, nobody in his right mind would take a greeting to preach a sermon. If you have been to church and in churches where they have topical preaching... I doubt that you have ever heard a sermon on greeting, the importance of greeting. You don't hear that. But when you're walking through the exposition, you cannot run away from that. We need to deal with this subject. And sometimes it's easy for us, and it's tempting to think that as we come to the greeting or to the introductory greeting, when Paul or any other author opens his letter... It's very tempting for us to think that there is no meat, there is no theology there. Let's go to the main chapters. Let's skip, let's avoid, let's jump this, because that's just introduction. Paul and Silas, Paul and Apostle, grace to you. Or now greet every saint. There's no meat there, there's no theology. But we forget that every single word comes from the mouth of God. And every single sentence is rich in theology. It just requires us, from us, the effort to dig and find the treasure there. Amen? So, my prayer is that we would not treat these less verses lightly, but actually would pray that the God of the universe, and who spoke His Word into our lives, would open our eyes to behold wonderful things here. Amen? So, Philippians 4, 
I, I was going to look uh, my notes to see when I first started preaching through Philippians. But I believe it was the beginning of 2020. And then we had a little break. There were other sermons in between, but I think it was beginning of 2000, February maybe of 2020 when we first started. And now we are coming towards the end. And those are the final verses of Philippians. It is, as one commentator says, it's time to say goodbye. But it's beautiful how Paul, even though it's time to say goodbye, he doesn't say goodbye as most people in the first century used to, used to end a letter. So if you get most of the letters in the first century, they would finish by saying farewell or good luck. Paul never finished his letters like that. Actually, he fills his final greetings with theology. And you can see just by the words here, saints, brothers, grace, Christ, Jesus, Lord, those are all very rich theological words. Amen? Well, that's all we see here. And another observation as we come to these final greetings, and it's here, and that was normal in the first century for the, the person who was the author of the letter, he had a, a secretary. Remember I told you in the beginning of this series that most letters were written by a secretary. And Paul had a secretary who would write the letter for him. And when he would come towards the end, that was the pattern in the first century for the author now to take the pen and put his own signature. And that's what Paul does with all, all his letters. So, for example, in Second Thessalonians, he says, Second Thessalonians 3, 17 through 18, Paul says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of authenticity in every letter of mine. It's the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So that's the time when Paul would just take the pen from, the, from his secretary and now write down the final greetings. And that was his mark. People would know that that was his letter because of his final greetings. So that's what Paul is doing here. Now it's, he takes the pen and writes his final greetings. And the close greetings, you can see it, it's very similar to the other letters. As you compare the final greetings, grace, beauty, all greet one another. And it's tempting for us to overlook how beautiful, how well structured these final greetings are. It's actually the final greeting is a work of art. The whole letter is a work of art. But think, uh, most of you are not artists. But we have some artists here in this church. And you know that when you're finishing a work of art, you just don't finish whatever. It requires work and attention. And the same with this letter. The, the final verses are part of this work of art and requires effort, attention, thought from Paul's part. So, when you can see how a work of art it is by comparing the introduction of the letter with the conclusion of the letter, or the epilogue and the prologue, and you see how beautiful and well-structured and coherent the whole letter is. So as you compare the introduction of the letter to the Philippians with the conclusion, you see a lot of similarities in words that Paul is using. Just like, think about, he was a tent maker. 
So he was very skilled in, in stitching the letter together. And that's what he's doing in the letter. He's stitching the letter together as a beautiful work of art. So, for example, in chapter 1, verse 4, he talks about joy. In chapter 4, verse 10, he talks about joy. In the beginning of chapter 1, verses 5 and 7, he used two Greek words for partnership that he used later in chapter 4, verses 14 through 15. So in chapter 1, verse 5, he talks about the partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And then in chapter 4, 15, he talks about in the beginning of the gospel and how the Philippians entered into a partnership with him. In chapter 1, verse 7, Paul says, It's right for me to have this pattern of thinking towards you. And now, in chapter 4, verse 10, he talks about the Philippians having that same pattern of thinking towards Paul. So there is the reverse. In the beginning, it's Paul's pattern of thinking towards them. And now in the end, it's the Philippians' pattern of thinking towards Paul. There's the repetition of the word to abound, the word fruit, my God, the glory of God, the saints in Christ Jesus, grace to you, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is just beautifully wrapping up the letter. And if you remember, they didn't have the books to read. So that was read out loud. So the repetition of words would help the congregation to connect the dots and place this word. Oh, Paul spoke about the same word earlier. And so he brings to an end this beautiful letter. Here's the outline of this morning's sermon. First, we are going to see greet each saint. That's the first part of verse 21. Then greetings from many saints. The second part of verse 21 and verse 22. And then grace to the saints. Verse 23. So greet each saint. Greetings from many saints. And then grace to the saints. So let's go to verse 21. Paul says as he coming towards the end of this letter. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. And, and I hope you notice the key word here is greet. Greeting. Salutation. He repeats three times in two verses. So the repetition shows that his emphasis is in greeting, saluting. The verb, aspazomai, is defined by one lexicon as to engage. That's what greeting implies. To engage in hospitable, hospitable recognition of another with varying degrees of intimacy. And as we will see, to greet one another is much more than just, hi, hello. Now, there is this, to engage in hospitable recognition of another with varying degrees of intimacy. And notice that Paul says, greet every saint. Turn with me to chapter 1, in verse 1. Paul says, Paul and Timothy are slaves of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus. So he opens with all, and now he ends with every, or each, saint. And the picture here is that Paul is, very, is being very unique and precise in his words, because he does not use this type of greeting in any other letter of his. Greet each saint. Usually he, greet, he says, greet all the saints. But what Paul has here in mind is his fellowship with the Philippians. Remember that Philippians is a very intimate letter. It's a letter of friends. 
So Paul wants this greeting to be to each one of them. And what's amazing is that Paul doesn't mention anybody by name in his final greeting. And that's very interesting because that's a very personal letter. And you'd expect Paul to mention some of the names in his letter. Just like looking in Romans, Romans chapter 16. Turn with me to Romans chapter 16. And you can get a glimpse of what I'm talking about. Because in Romans 16, Paul had never been to that church in Rome. He has not been to that church in Rome. And yet, he greets a bunch of people there by name. So you can see in Romans chapter 16, starting verse 3, and he keeps going. Greet Rufus, greet Asyncritus, greet Philologus, Julia. And he keeps mentioning name of people in Rome. But when he comes to Philippians, he doesn't mention anybody by name. And theologians have asked why. And probably it's because in light, in light of the latter's emphasis on unity among members, it could be that Paul wants every member to feel loved. Remember, there's, there's tension in the, in the church in Philippi between two members. And every time you have two members, you're going to have other people taking sides. And so Paul is not just saying, greet all the saints. But he says, greet each saint. And it's unique also how Paul is commanding most certainly the elders that he addressed in the beginning of the letter. And he's telling the elders, and especially the one who'd be reading the letter, to after, once the service is done, the letter is finished, Paul wants those men to come and greet each member of the church on behalf of Paul. That's what Paul is telling those who are in reading the letter and in leadership in the church. I want you to greet every single member on my behalf. It's as if Paul... He's telling one of the elders, please go towards Appius and greet him. Give him a hug on my behalf. And say, Appius, Paul loves you and he's greeting you. Go to Titus. Hug him on my behalf. Give him a holy kiss. And say that I miss him and I'm greeting him. So that's what Paul is asking. Each individual in the church, he wants to be greeted, to receive a holy hug, a holy kiss, and be loved by Paul. So that's very unique and it's beautiful what Paul is doing here. And notice also that he says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. That's very important. The, the action of the verb to greet, and then the object of the verb, the saints, they're all in Christ Jesus. We are saints because we are in Christ Jesus, who is the Holy One. That's the only reason why we are saints. It's because of our union in Christ. Amen? You don't become a saint once you die and people realize that you perform certain miracles. No! We are all saints. Even Yodi, Sinteke, who are arguing they are saints in the Lord. Amen? Because of our union with Christ, who is the Holy One. And then the greeting house, we are greeting in Christ, as if it was Christ Himself greeting one another. And then he says, verse 21b, the second part, The brothers who are with me greet you. 
The brothers here most certainly refers to Paul's co-workers. And sometimes he would call those who were working side by side with him as brothers, as more in an official title. So maybe Luke and Timothy and some other men would be called brothers. And Paul leaves them unnamed. They have no name. And I think it's a way of Paul teaching the Philippians and teaching us that we have a vast number of brothers and sisters in Christ that we do not know their names, but they have been adopted into God's family just like you and me. So you can just picture Paul as he's taking up the pen to write the final greetings. Here's why your imagination has to play here. Paul takes the pen to write the final greetings. And maybe it's Timothy. Maybe there's another brother there who is helping Paul, ministering with Paul. And as soon as they see Paul taking the pen, you can picture Timothy say, Paul, send my greetings to the Philippians. We don't know who else. Maybe Luke. Paul, put my greetings to you. I love them. I would love to give them a hug, a holy kiss. So that's why Paul says, oh, the brothers who are with me also, now that they saw me taking the pen, they are sending their greetings to you also. But not only the brothers. He says, all the saints greet you. So you see the, the circle of affection keeps growing. It's Paul, it's the brothers, it's all the saints who are with Paul. And now here, Paul is referring to, we don't know where Paul is. Is Paul in Rome? Is Paul in Caesarea? Is Paul in Ephesus? We don't know. But what Paul is saying is that those churches in that place where he's at in prison, when they found out that Paul was writing to the Philippians, they all said, Paul, send our greetings to the Philippians also. So that's what we have right here. The brothers, the saints. And Paul leaves them nameless. To remind us that we have a vast number of brothers and sisters and co-saints in Christ Jesus who loves us. And many times we don't even know their names. And there are brothers and sisters whom we love and we don't even know their names. Amen? And that's very important. We need to cultivate this type of mentality that we are not the holy ones, the frozen, chosen, holy Select group. There's nobody else in Salem. There's nobody else in Oregon like us. No. There are a vast number of brothers and sisters and saints in Christ, even in this town. Amen? So it's important for us to cultivate that. And that's what Paul is doing in the Philippians. You're not the only ones. There are many who we don't even know. They're holy in the Lord. They're brothers and sisters in Christ, adopted by the same Father. Purchased by the same Son and indwelled with the same Holy Spirit. That's what Paul is teaching them and teaching us. That's why we prioritize. When you come early here to pray, you know that we always pray for the churches around us. That's a duty, especially of pastors, reminding the congregation, you pray for other churches. We are not the only ones. It's not the only healthy church in Salem. Amen? That's what Paul is doing. That's what we need to keep our minds on. And we see the, the circle here. Paul is surrounded by people who love the church. Paul is surrounded by men and women who have strong affections for the church. 
Amen? He's circled by this type of people. And let me ask you, who are your best friends? Who are the people you hang out the most? Make sure that you're spending time and your best friends are those who love what Christ loves. And Christ loves the church. Paul is surrounded by men who are not just sitting there complaining, speaking evil about the church, just like so many people love to do. No, he's surrounded by people who love the church. Oh, send our affection to the Philippians. We don't even know them, but we love them. Because we love Christ. And we love what Christ loves. And that's His church. Amen? And then he says, All the saints greet you. And now he adds a special group here. Especially those of Caesar's household. The household of Caesar. Kaisaros Oikia. And sometimes people are going to think, oh, those are the family members of Caesar. Maybe it's Nero's wife and children. No, 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 no. The household of Caesar referred to slaves or freedmen, people who work for the government. They're governed people. And they're called the household of Caesar. So one scholar says, the phrase Caesar's household refers to slaves and freed slaves who served the emperor either as part of his Entourage, entourage of personal attendants in Rome, or as part of the more widely dispersed group of servants who supervised his financial affairs. Both groups were proud of the status that, that their work in the emperor's service accorded, accorded them. And they often added to their names an abbreviation showing that they were slaves or freedmen of the emperor. So that was their status. So every time they had to put their signature, they would put... C.H., Caesar's household, right there. To tell people that they're not just any slave or any freedman. They belong to Caesar. And, and it's interesting, why, why Paul is mentioning them? So some scholars believe that either some of these people who work for Caesar had been in Philippi before or they were from Philippi. And Stephen Fowle, in his commentary, he says... He notes that members of the imperial household would have been found throughout the empire. Indeed, a public inscription shows that three of Augustus Friedman, members of his household, were present in Philippi in 36 or 37 CE. So, we don't know. But what we know is, going back here, is the the gospel is moving even inside Caesar's household. So we need to stop here and behold the power of the gospel. Even inside Caesar's household, God's household is taking over. The slaves of Caesar are becoming what? Slaves of Christ Jesus, the true Lord. Okay, so that's beautiful. To borrow the language from Proverbs 30, in Proverbs 30, the, the wise man is comparing wisdom to certain animals. And then he compares wisdom to a lizard. Remember, he says, oh, the lizard. You can have the lizard in your hand. And yet, where do you find the lizard? In the king's palace. Right? And that's the wisdom of God in the gospel. Just like a lizard is moving into inside the king's palace household, his palace, and taking over people. 
inside the household, the household of Caesar. Let me tell you, that's now like rotten corpse because of the depravity of the household. Especially if it's Nero. And yet, inside the household that smells like rotten dead body of a skunk, there is a fragrant smelling ascending to God's presence of people who are now being converted to Christ. That's what we see taking place here. The gospel of Christ has the power to conquer the most unimaginable places. Amen? So as we see and and we are beholding our society, our civilization going down and down, becoming more and more depraved, hostile, perverted, corrupted, let us remember that Jesus' sheep will come into His fold. The Father's children will come into His household. I have been walking the evenings with Rachel. Oftentimes we go for a walk in the evening and we have been noticing more and more as you're walking through our neighborhood, so many houses filled with banners and flags endorsing all sort of depravity. Houses with flags endorsing, supporting homosexuality. And it's easy for us to become faithless that Christ can take over of those households. And I was confronted by this verse here. If the gospel has the power to enter Caesar's household, what is that house in my neighborhood? Let us never... Never diminish the power of the gospel. Amen? Especially as we see our society getting more and more depraved. And it's God's judgment. But with His judgment comes salvation also. And people will be saved by the power of the gospel. And also, as he mentions these people in Caesar's household, that's very important because the Philippians and Paul, they are in a partnership for the advancement of the gospel. And Paul is saying, hey, your partnership with me is bearing fruit. The gospel is advancing. Let us keep this partnership. The gospel is moving forward and is moving forward so powerful that's conquering people in Caesar's household. That's all we see here. The power of the gospel. And not only that, but we see the power of the gospel also in greeting. Notice the emphasis here. Greet every saint. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you. Greet, greet, greet. And that's the power of the gospel in our lives also. The, the word greet, one dictionary says, the theological dictionary of the New Testament says, the, the word aspasmos, to greet or greeting, includes embracing, kissing, offering the hand. The basic sense seems to be to embrace Paul seems to have regarded the greeting as a very important, as an expression of affection. Church, your greeting is a demonstration of your affection towards one another. This greeting or salutation is much more than just the hi or hello. Just, just, that's the word of the Lord being proclaimed. 
Let us not be distracted by small things. I just want to remind you that greeting is actually a holy duty. It's a holy duty that you have. Greeting one another is not just some type of cultural formality. That's up to you, whether you feel like or not. Greeting in the life of the church is not optional. Greeting one another is actually a holy obligation that we all have. Every single member of this church is in the greeting team. Yes, we have some wonderful women and sisters who work to greet people and welcome them. But every single member of this church is actually part of the greeting team. We have a duty. The command to greet one another carries the same weight as any other commandment in the New Testament. That's amazing. Sometimes we think about the commandments in the New Testament and we forget that greet one another is a command. That's demanded upon us. So, for example, we read in Romans 16, 16, Greet one another with a holy kiss. 1 Corinthians 16, 20. Greet one another with a holy kiss. 2 Corinthians 13, 12. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Philippians 4, 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5, 26. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Hebrews 13, 24. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Or 1 Peter 5.14. Greet one another with the kiss of love. So you can see that greeting one another is actually a fundamental duty in the Christian life. I don't know if you ever taught that, but here it is. It's a commandment. It's an order from Jesus Himself. We all have this obligation towards one another. To show and manifest our union and communion with the Lord by greeting each other. Sometimes we think about love. And how can I show love to someone? And we think about heroic acts of love. Maybe jumping in front of a car to save David. Let me tell you, love is predominantly demonstrated not by major heroic acts of love, but in the mundane, the little Things that you do. That's how you show love. Love is most often manifested through small expressions of affections and kindness on a daily basis. Love is predominantly manifested in our daily lives by taking notice of a person, showing affection, and sincerely caring for that person. That's the greatest way to show love to someone. And that's the most fundamental way of showing love. Not one day I'm going to show love towards Ben. No, every day when I see him, I can show him that I love him by how I greet him. My affection towards him. And you see, you can see in the Scriptures how greeting is often connected with what? A holy kiss. You see, even the kiss is holy because it's in Christ Jesus who is the Holy One. That's why it's holy. It's separated. It's performed by the saints who are in Christ. And kissing was one of the greatest signs of affection and love. And it still is in so many cultures. You're hugged and you're kissed. 
And if you remember Jesus in, in Luke chapter 7, He's comparing, He went to Simon's house, Simon the Pharisee, and everybody's criticizing that lady who is kissing Jesus' feet. Do you remember what Jesus tells Simon? When I, when I got here, you did not greet me with a kiss. You show no affection towards me. And now you're talking bad about this woman who has not stopped my, kissing my feet. In our culture, hug, I would say, is the, primarily, the primary uh, act of affection. is the hugging, the opening of the arms, the embracing. In many cultures, the culture where I come from, kissing is a great part of that. Kissing one another, showing affection, love. And as I said, it's still easy in many, many parts of the world. So you think about uh, churches in the Middle East. Let's suppose a 19-year-old girl just got saved. A young lady got saved. Her parents, her family, they're all Muslims. Do you know what happens to her? If she's not put to death, she needs to flee because she's no longer welcoming her family. And she's no longer greeted by her family. There's no hugging, there's no kissing, there's no affection. So for those people now coming to church and being embraced and receiving a kiss, is the sign that they now have a new family who truly loves them. And that's what was taking place in the first century. As people were being persecuted, having their families abandoning them, now they come to church, they're hugged, they're kissed, something that they were not receiving from their natural family. Let me remind you also that greeting with affection is not about your personality. It's a biblical command. And let me tell you that the churches to which Paul is writing this greet one another were as diverse or more, more diverse than our church. So that was a very diverse church and Paul it's not saying, if you feel like, you can kiss, you can hug, you can greet. No, it's a command for everyone. We might, and we do, greet differently. Some are loud. Some are invasive. Very touchy. Others are more reserved. But the heart of the matter is what? The heart of the greeter. Is there the affection? Are you showing that love, care? Whether it's comfortable or uncomfortable, awkward or easy, we all have a duty in Christ to greet our brothers and sisters with the affections of Christ. We must align our personality, our feelings, our background, and our cultural background with the Word of God. Amen? So, for example, we get brothers and sisters from Japan. And that's a culture where you don't hug. So, what do you do? Oh, but that's their culture. It doesn't matter. You need to align with the Scriptures. What does the Bible say? You show affection. And a lot of times, the best way is a hug. Heart to heart. My heart... Is open for you. My arms is a symbol of hugging. Showing that you're greeting. So it doesn't matter. Our cultural background. Our family background. We are commanded to do that. 
And greeting is very revealing of who is in the center of your life. When you're greeting someone, it tells a lot of who is in the center. Think about in the morning. Many people wake up cranky. And you have no desire to greet the other person. Who is in the center of your life at that moment? Yourself. It's me. I matter. You don't matter. Right? So the way we greet is very revealing of who is in the center. And also, how we greet one another sets the atmosphere for our homes and our churches. So if the musicians and the people who do the setup who come early come cranky, not willing to greet with joy in the affections of Christ, man, let me tell you, that affects the whole thing. Oh, greeting is very revealing. And let me give you some pastoral words, <laughs> if I may. Some pastoral, practical words here. First of all, the members of this church, the members who have entered into a solemn covenantal relationship with other members, have a holy obligation to obey this command and make the effort of greeting the different brothers and sisters every Lord's Day. Does that mean that every Sunday I need to greet every single member of this church? No. Especially the church growing. But, in the matter of a few weeks, you've got to look back and say, Yes, I have showed my affection and I have greeted every single member of this church. There is nothing between me and another member that's hindering me from greet and show the affections of Christ towards that person. Be careful with hiding yourself behind service. Sometimes people, instead of greeting, they come up with some excuse. Oh, I need to do the setup. So instead of going and doing your duty of greeting, you need to do something. Stop. Stop. And that's something we told before. You guys, relax. Because it's so easy. As soon as the service is over, people come, look like a tornado. Stop. Stop. Go greet one another. We have time. Greet each other. Show affection. Another thought. It does not matter what the state or the government tells us. They have no authority over the church. The Bible has authority over us. So, if the government tells the church, you cannot be hugging, you cannot be meeting, Remember they always say, my body, my choice? No, 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 no. That's the Lord's body, the Lord's choice. He's sovereign over us. You do what you're supposed to do, and we're going to do what you're supposed to do. Amen? But the sickness, sickness, illness, let me tell you, something very new. I don't think you ever heard that. But you all will get sick one day. You all will get sick one day and you will die. But, if you are sick, please, you don't need to be spreading your germs to everyone. If you know that you are sick, please keep to yourself. 
We love you. And when you're well, we want to hug you and show affection. Amen? Do not wait for others to come and greet you. Sometimes people sit down, they're just on their corners, pouting, bitter. No, you have the duty to get out and go greet other people. We all have the duty. If there is a member in this church who you feel awkward or, or uncomfortable with greeting, then there must be an examination. Why is that uncomfortable? Is that because there is sin between us? Is that because the person is just being awkward? How can I deal with that so there is no awkwardness? Amen? A lot of times the resistance, the, the, the strangeness is because of something in the relationship and you don't want to greet that person. And that must be treated in the gospel. Why would you rather avoid or skip greeting that member? Why are you avoiding greeting that member? Oh, because of this. Have you talked to that person? Of course not. So you need to go and talk to that person. If things are not solved, get another person to help you. Amen? The elders, the leaders, and the deacons also must be an example to the church. Greeting, showing affection. We come earlier, we stay later. Brian is a great example of someone who is very bold in greeting and, and welcoming people. Right? And then everybody else also has the responsibility of being greeters, greeting one another. So we have the responsibility of greeting, but we also, we also have the responsibility of being greetable. Huh. And let me tell you, two examples. There are more. Two young men. One, B.O., the body odor was really strong. I felt like I was hugging an onion. And I'm not kidding. I love that person. The other one, nicotine. I felt like I was hugging a cigarette. And I love those guys. But in love, and man, if, I'm, if I'm having issues, I cannot even imagine the other members. Because I have smelled a lot of dead bodies before working for a funeral service. In love. In love. Hey, I love hugging you. I love greeting you. I love showing my affections towards you. But you've got to help me, brother. So, that's my life. No, no, no. We need to think about others. We need to think about others. Amen? And I told them, you're single. You want to get married? I doubt that a single lady wants to greet you. <laughs> At first, one of them was very resistant. And then later, actually, you're right. But we can apply that for people who bathe themselves with perfume. And then you hug and it's just... <coughs> let, let us think about others. Strive to be greetable also. A smile, eagerness. Avoid just greeting the ones you like. Some people are just, they just greet the people they like. 
So in Portuguese, we call panelinha, that small cooking pot, you know? It's always cooking. It's always the same group of people. No, 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 no. You have a duty and obligation to spread. Go greet others. There are times when there is emergency. There are times when we have emergency that we need to leave earlier. But I would say that most often when we leave early, it's not because of an emergency. It's something that we are creating as an urgency over our duty of greeting and showing affection towards one another. So, of course there are emergencies you need to run away, but wait a second. How often does it take place? Are those truly urgencies, emergencies? also shows us the necessity of being present in the service. You see, church membership and life in the church. We have a command to be greeting one another. And that you cannot do by watching YouTube videos. You need a life in the church where you know your family members and you're part of a family and you have affection in Christ for each other. Also, the gospel is preached in symbolized in greeting. Jesus said, A new commandment I give you, John thirteen thirty four. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Let me tell you that Jesus defines how we are to love one another. You don't define how you love each other. That's so messed up. If we start defining love and how we are to love each other, it's going to become so selfish. Jesus, the New Testament, defines how we love Him and how we love one another. And one of the ways that Jesus commands us to show love, to love one another, is by greeting each other. When we greet one another, we are obeying His commandment. And notice what He says, As I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Let me ask you, how does Jesus greet you? With a side hug, please keep far away from me. A yellow smile. No, his arms are wide open. That's how Jesus greets us. His greeting is full of love and compassion and embracing. And the Father kissing. As I have loved you, you love others. And that's how we are to greet one another. Showing the affections we have in Christ Jesus. And showing His affections to others. A church whose members do not greet one another with holy affection is a disobedient church. A Christian who willfully refuses to greet with affection the members of his church is in disobedience to the Lord. And only an affectionate church will be an effective church in displaying the love of Christ. So it's not a superficial hi, hello, but it's truly the heart, the opening. Just like, I love you. I long for you all week. It's so good to see you. And the heart to heart, or the strong shake of hands. I love you, brother. I love you, sister. Just like Christ does to us. So greeting is an evidence of grace and the power of the gospel in our lives. Greeting shows that you are no longer in the center of your life, right? Greeting causes you to go to someone else. And that's what the gospel is. It's no longer me, 
myself and I in the center of the universe, but others. So by greeting, I'm showing the power of the gospel in my own life. I'm no longer the center of the universe. I'm actually going after others. Also, make sure that you're greeting out of love and not out of interests. Sometimes people are always seeking certain people to greet out of interest. What can I get from that person? So then you show affection. You show love because you're looking for something. No, 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 no. No. Show real love, affection. Ask about the person. How you are doing? How is your life? How can I pray for you? It's so good to see you. So greeting reflects Jesus Himself. His own coming towards us, noticing us and embracing us, placing us in His heart. Amen? So that's the power of greeting. It shows the gospel. Proclaims the gospel. And that's the beautiful picture, the, the, the parable of the, the father with his arms wide open as the son comes back. How does he greet that son? With love and joy and affection, embracing and kissing. That's the love of God towards us. Greeting with a holy affection is a remedy against division and bitterness in the church. Now imagine Syntyche and Iodia. Now they need to obey Paul and greet each other. And I can only imagine the tears. How foolish we were to argue about that thing. Greeting with whole affection helps the church with division. Because you don't want to be a hypocrite of hugging and greeting someone and you're holding something against that person. And in this local church, we have seen people who had never hugged before and people who had never been hugged before now hugging. And that's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. As I see people who are so awkward, they had no idea how to hug, now showing affection. Troglodytes, cavemen, now showing affection towards one another. And that's the power of the gospel, brothers and sisters. To show affection, to greet, to show love. People who had never received that before in their lives, now they have been receiving and in turn they're showing to others. Amen? And this church is a beautiful example of greeting with love, with affection, greeting one another, greeting visitors. But we can all excel in these things. Amen? All right, finally, let's go. We need to finish. Verse 22. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And as often, Paul finishes his letter with a benediction. With a benediction. And that's important. Because often, people have a hard time differentiating between doxology and benediction. A doxology is our words blessing God. So, it's from down to heaven. That's a doxology. That's how you usually open the service, with a doxology. A benediction, it's God's word to God's people, blessing them. So, then it's from up. Down. That's what a benediction is. God speaking His blessing upon His people. 
And this type of benedictions, they're all throughout the letters. And it's interesting because it comes towards the end of the letter. Why? Because the letter was read as a sermon, so that was the end of the service. So the benediction is just the benediction of ending the service. That's why you find the benedictions in the end of the letter. Because it's how the service was ending. That's why we have a benediction in this church. We are following the pattern of the New Testament. And not only the New Testament, but the Old Testament. When the high priest was supposed to bless the people under the Old Covenant in the evening, the Lord bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you. That's the benediction upon God's people. And sometimes it's tempting for us to take this benediction lightly. It's just a benediction. We deserve malediction. By nature, we deserve malediction. God speaking His anathema, His curse, His judgment upon us. Amen? So every time you hear a benediction, behold the grace of God in your life. We are receiving a benediction from God Himself. We deserve His malediction. The speaking of His wrath and judgment. And in Christ Jesus, in Christ, we receive the benediction. The Lord bless you. He keep you. May His grace be with you. That's beautiful. Let us never take lightly the benediction. Something that the gospel has provided for us. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Or the your there in the Greek is in the plural. Your in the plural, and then you have the spirit in the singular. Huh. You'd expect Paul to say your spirits. But instead he says your spirit. And I agree with Stephen Fowl when he writes, Paul speaks here to the common single spirit of the Philippian Christians. While this language is not unique to Philippians, it does echo Paul's desire for their common life expressed in chapter 2, 1 through 4. This is a useful reminder that this is not an, an epistle, a letter, written to isolated individuals. To us, contemporary American Christians, surrounded as we are by a culture of individualism, Paul leaves us with a final reminder that our primary task is to order the common life of our churches in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So, though there are many members... There is one heart in the local church. That's the, the spirit, the, the heart, that affection, the mind. Though there are many saints, there is one mind in the local church. So when people think about Gracious Cross Reformed Church, yes, we have many members, but there is something. It's our heart, the heart of Gracious Cross, the spirit of Gracious Cross that unites us together. And Paul is... He opened the letter. Take a look in chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 27. That's the first, the first exhortation in the letter. That's the first command from Paul. Chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in what? In one spirit. So now he ends the letter by telling them that the Holy Spirit will empower them to live a life worthy of the gospel by living 
இனியும் நிரூபிச்சாது So he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul began the letter, look at chapter 1. Look at verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he ends the letter with what? Grace. From beginning to the end, it's your grace. It's all about grace. Our lives, the service, it's all from beginning to end, God's grace. But here's the tricky thing. We're always talking about grace. We sing about grace. It's your grace. Amazing grace. Marvelous grace. We have gracious cross, the name of our church. But what is grace? Somebody wants to ask you, what is grace? How would you define? How would you answer that? That's important. And it's a hard word to define. Grace defies Grace defies a simple definition. Grace is a vast subject because it reflects the vastness of God's character. Most scholars, most scholars, they define grace as the acceptance of and goodness towards those who cannot earn or do not deserve such gain. Or, other scholars define grace as undeserved favor that reconciles us to God through Christ supplies all our needs and give us the privilege of service. And I say amen to all of that. Most often people treat grace as an undeserved gift, right? How, how would you define grace? Or oh, it's a gift that you don't deserve. Amen. But we cannot stop there. But a lot of times the gift can be what? Rejected. Saving grace, when it comes with power, is irresistible. Paul knows that very well. Paul was seeking, he was hunting down Christians when the grace of Christ came towards him. And there was, no, 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 I don't want this grace. That grace came and conquered him. So I like what Thomas Reiner writes. He says, the contrast between Adam and Christ is crucial for defining the word grace, haris. In Paul's theology. Often people define grace only in terms of unmerited gift. Such a definition is certainly fitting. But grace is more than unmerited gift in Paul. For the word gift could convey the idea that one may choose to open the gift. Or conversely that one may choose to reject the gift. Grace in Paul is also a power that affects what is demanded. The gift of righteousness is not merely offered to human beings. It's secured through the work of the second Adam. The last Adam does not merely offer life. He gives, he grants life. So yes, it is a gift. But you, know, you see, it's hard to define. You defy a simple explanation. It is an undeserved gift. But this gift is pretty powerful. And then you think about the other texts of the Scripture when it talks about grace. We need to be good stewards of the multifaceted grace of Christ. We are to grow in grace. Oh, wait a second. So do you see how it deserves all our attention, all our effort, because it's a beautiful subject, subject grace. I like what Mouse writes. He says, Every step of God's salvation from eternity past to everlasting future is accomplished through grace. His pre-creational choosing of the elect in Christ, His inner call to the gospel, 
His regeneration of dead sinners, His gift of saving faith, His redemption of sinners, His sanctification of believers, His preservation of the saints, and His glorification of believers. God saves in order that in the coming ages He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness in Christ Jesus. So, as we think about Paul opens and he ends the letter with grace. And as we think about how grace is what allows us to obey the Lord, to love Him, empowers us, I just want to finish by bringing all the things that Paul is asking the Philippians and see how it's all based on grace. It's only the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that transformed vile sinners into saints and slaves of sin into slaves of Christ. That's how he opens the letter. It's the grace of Christ that transformed our partnership with the world into a partnership in the advancement of the gospel. It's His grace that enables us to rejoice in the Lord always. It's His grace alone that empowers us to declare, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Only the grace of Christ empowers us to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than ourselves. It's His grace that breaks our unbendable knees to bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. His grace alone can unite us in such a way that we strive side by side for the gospel. His grace enables us to do all things without grumbling or disputing. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that conquers us to make us His own. It's Jesus' grace that transforms us so that we can count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. It's His grace alone, the engine in our hearts, causing us to forget what lies behind and strain forward, forward towards ahead. It's Jesus' grace that strengthens us to imitate others. It's His grace alone that makes us citizens of heaven. Only by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we can have the same fronel, the same mind in Christ. His grace changes us from anxious creatures into people who in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let our requests be known to God. It's only by His grace that we can think about whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, and whatever is commendable. Jesus' Grace empowers us to be content. It's only by His grace that selfish, greedy, and ungrateful creatures can become content, joyful, and thankful people. It's the grace of Christ that teaches us to be generous and sacrificial with our money. And it's the grace of Christ that teaches us and enables us to greet one another with holy affection. So, sola gratia. From beginning to end, it's His grace. Father, we... Thank you for these wonderful, these wonderful final words. We pray your help. Pray that you would empower us to obey you, to love you, and to always be amazed by your grace. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for your kindness, your goodness, your mercy, and your long suffering towards us. Be with us. In Jesus' name. Amen.